Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IA Cast. All right, with me today, we have Lynn back with us. Hello, everybody. And we have Damasi. Hello, everybody. We have a great group uh, with us today, so uh, we we have a great topic to talk about. So let's get started with some of our typical news. And to start off, we're going to start with some news about the podcast, and that is that we're going to make a little bit of a change for you guys. So our podcasts typically run a little long, and maybe you don't want to listen to everything that you've heard that you that you get in the podcast. So we've added chapters to the IA cast on the last episode. You may have noticed that, which is really exciting. But we're also going to be breaking the episodes up. So you'll get the full episode, but you'll also get uh, little little segments throughout the week in the feed. So you'll be getting uh, each segment that we talk about in the podcast throughout the week. So be looking for that. It's pretty exciting, I think. Yeah. Yes. So that way you don't have to listen to us talk about stuff for an hour or so. You could just go and it's like, oh, this this topic on on iPhone batteries uh, in the <laughs> EU sounds really exciting. Uh, <laughs> which kind of brings us to that, right? <laughs> yes. So uh, you guys talked about this, I believe, yesterday or Thursday when you recorded it, Lynn, on Friday Fines. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so do you want to you want to explain what's going on? Sure. Well, there's legislation in the EU right now. In fact, it has a very high chance of getting through parliament because it has pretty much universal support um, in the EU parliament. And the idea is that they want to make uh, it quote unquote easy to change your batteries in your laptops, your phones and um, your tablets. And the reason they give for this is actually a good reason. They're trying to cut down on the e-waste. They want to just give people more control over what they do with their tech. Um, And they're trying to, again, trying to uh, keep people from just discarding these batteries which are very polluting right into the atmosphere, into the environment. And I know that this has sort of been coming for a long time. This has been something that people have thought about. And it also ties into that right to repair movement, that sort of a global um, initiative where people are saying, hey, I want the right to repair my own tech or I want the right to take it to a shop a local shop with people that I trust and I want to, um, and not, not everyone lives close to an Apple store where they can go or lives close to the um, repair places where they can go. And so, you know, this is an idea of just really changing the dynamic of just discarding these um, this equipment after the battery runs down, which is what, oftentimes happens, right? People get rid of their phones because the battery's dead and they can't change the battery. Um, so 
you know, it has so, it has universal support, and I think it's mm-hmm. it it's not going to have any trouble getting passed. So I have a lot of opinions on this topic, and but I'm I'm curious, Demasi, what are your what are your initial thoughts on this? So I just have a question. Is the most burning thing for me here, which is what is you know easily yes. or easy for a user to repair? Right? Yeah, that's a good because, question. Um. That has several connotations. Like there are people who could easily, if they made it a little bit easier to just unscrew a few screws and take your battery out and swap it in, like there are still people who would not find that easy enough for them to want to risk doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about what the definition of user repairable is going to be. And I also think that uh, perhaps a company like Blindshell (laughs) should start putting this in their marketing. Hey, our batteries, you just pop the back off and swap it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You know, that's a good point because, yeah, I mean, the blind shell is very swappable. (laughs) And there are, as far as I know, too, in kind of outside of the U.S., more so than inside of the U.S., a lot still, you know, quite a few Android phones that have user changeable batteries in that way uh, Mm -hmm. as well. So that that could be a you know business push for them if they start marketing that. But I'm really curious what easily replaceable or changeable means. Well, and, and that's. My biggest concern with this, does it mean that you have to be able to take off the back of your phone as a user? Because the way I read this was user removable. So what concerns me is, does that mean that any user can just take off the back of their phone and and change their battery? If that's the case, that's going to really damage the creativity that these handset manufacturers can do to make their phones. They also say that this has, uh, this involves headphones as well. So air remove the thinness that we're used Mm -hmm. to now too, with a lot of devices Mm -hmm. are going to have to naturally get more bulkier to make room for all of the components and the battery and still have that space to be able to take that battery out easily. And I, I feel like that is a detriment to creativity. I'm, I'm never a fan when government tries to regulate the creation of hardware because it says that, you know, uh, creativity is, and I, I even feel like about this on accessibility, right? Uh, you know, when, when, when you go and write a line of code, in, in my mind, you're creating art. And when you dictate how a thing can be written and, and presented and all of those things, whether it be code whether it be a website, whether it be accessibility, whether it be how a phone is built, you know, there are things within reason, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, what happens when your AirPods Pro have to be bigger because you have to be able to remove the batteries from them, right? Right. And and that's what now, they're saying with headphones as well. I think Apple actually has been kind of moving in this direction for a while now. I think they said since the iPhone 14, um, that they have actually, now you can get a toolkit to replace your battery. Like you can do that if you know how to do it. Um, but I guess, of course, the, the manufacturer's concerns are that people who are not equipped or really not able to do this correctly can damage their phones. Um, mm-hmm. They talk about the introduction of malware. Um, you know, parts that are not um, manufacturer approved uh, and safety. 
I mean, these batteries do have, you know, safety issues, but as Damasi was saying, there are phones out there that you can replace the battery. I just wonder, like with iPhones, they're so sort of, I don't know what the word I'm trying to say. They're more sophisticated. They're more mm-hmm. complex. And, you know, how how is that going to work? I'm not sure how that could even work. But I know that there is a kit. Like, you can buy this kit and you can buy batteries to replace, you know, your battery if you want to do that um, in your late, the later iPhones. But so, you have to get that kit and then the, then you have to send it back. <laughs> right. And, and they, I'm, the, I'm not in, sure in, if the EU is going to accept that as acceptable. What I'm really thinking about more, because we don't hear, at least I don't hear as much about this when it comes to like the Android phones out there. Apple has been in the past couple of years, you know, uh, moving more towards their stuff. I believe the iPhone 14 lineup right. entirely uh, got the highest repairability rating from uh, iFixit that, you know, an iPhone has gotten in a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're using more screws and less glue to, to, you know, put things inside of the phone. But what I don't hear about a lot is what are other handset makers like, you know, the pixels, for example, I know Samsung has been making some moves in this direction a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Uh, copying Apple. You know, to do. They but, tend to do. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm curious about that. And, and again, it really comes down to how they define you. Because right now, you could say the iPhone 14 does have a replaceable battery. And yes, me as a user or maybe Michael or anybody that's sophisticated enough that wants to go through the steps to order the kit from Apple, get a battery, could change their battery in their phone. The average customer, though, is not going to be able to use that. So how simple does it have to be? And the more simple the battery replacement is, I feel like the more problematic that is going to be for the design of the iPhone. Cause again, we're going to have to go back to thicker phones because the battery can't be, you know, buried in the middle of, of, of where it is now It's going to have to be more user accessible, which means putting right. a, a frame in between, you know, putting some sort of backing in between the electronics of the phone and where the battery sits so that when a person does go to pop the back off their phone to change that battery, they're not in danger of, you know, messing up something like a, a chip or putting their hand in mm-hmm. the wrong spot and disconnecting a face ID doesn't work anymore. Right. And it also concerns me a little bit as to what is this going to do for the overall repair costs in general for devices with Apple? Because I tend to purchase Apple Care on portable stuff mm-hmm. because if it's portable, you're taking it around in the world. Who knows what's going to yep. happen? And, you know, is my Apple Care now going to cost me more? Than it currently costs me right now because they have to account for the fact that, oh, well, you could also go change your battery. So this is potential more damage. Uh, how does it affect that? Like you, Michael, I don't necessarily like to see legislation come in from anybody's government that dictates specifics like that. That to me is where we kind of because the specifics, when you get too specific with a law, you're not accounting for. And we see the, the you know, um, we, we, we see the, the fallout of this in the U.S. in general. Like we have online, you know, privacy and protection laws some, somewhat here in the U.S., but they were written back in the late 80s, early 90s, which don't account for where the Internet is today. And that is my concern is when you are too specific within a law, you either tie people's hands from innovation or you don't account for a thing that arises five, seven years later. And then it's, we're back to the whole free for all situation. I would much rather see guidance on, we want a policy in place that devices have to be more 
mm-hmm. you know, upgradable or, or, you know, parts of the device need to be more upgradable or repairable. I'm all for things being more repairable because most times, mm-hmm. as Lynn said, people have iPhones that they, you know, they may still have an iPhone 10R or 11 that outside of the battery health not being all that great on it is a perfectly serviceable phone for them. They should be able to change that battery or get that battery changed. Uh, and it shouldn't have to go to an Apple store specifically to get the battery changed because I've lived in places, you know, here in the U.S. where I, mean, I was literally four hours from any Apple store, period. And there are some, you know, states that don't have Apple stores in them right. at all. Not to mention outside the U.S., there are whole swaths of countries that don't have an Apple store. Right. So it should yeah. be something that a professional or reasonably competent individual could change their battery or, or change batteries for people. That that does two things. It gives people options and it also, you know, can generate a, you know, small little business market there for people to make some money uh changing batteries out and, and things like that for people. Now, what about the what about the AirPods? Because they say headphones fall into this like wireless headphones fall into this category as well. And see, that's another thing, right? The AirPods, those batteries are all glued. I mean, right now, at, at this point, from my understanding, at least, I've never had mm-hmm. to exchange a pair of AirPods. My understanding with Apple is, is if you have Apple Care or you have a warranty rec- claim on mm-hmm. some AirPods, they just give you a new AirPod, like to replace yeah. the one that, that you're, that's damn trying to, you know, open mm-hmm. it up and do surgery on it to, to get it back working. So, you know, like you said, it could be that your AirPods are going to now be bigger, which means they're not going to be as comfortable as they currently are, mm-hmm. which, you know, shifts off a lot of things. And again, who, how big would it have to be? Because, I mean, a phone, I might attempt to change the battery on a phone or an iPad or even a MacBook. But an AirPod at its current size or even slightly bigger, I'm not touching that battery because all, right. all it takes is a puff of wind or a breath. And the battery gone. And I'm like, <laughs> no idea where my battery right. is. <laughs> Another and thing, a couple things I had thought about as well is what about waterproof? I mean, if you're going to. Yes. Yes. I was going to um, bring that up. Good yep. point. Yep. And I'll also, not just that, but like you can see people trying to get parts from places that are not Apple approved. And you can see people getting batteries from suppliers that are not apple approved and those batteries exploding or something and then who get who is liable for that you know this battery will make your iphone last twice as long yeah i mean it's just like the ink right the printer ink people Mm -hmm. go out and buy that ink from the and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but with an iphone it's just i don't know yeah and I think and, you know, we're exploring that a little bit for people, too, that aren't really familiar with why. Because I, I think a lot of people have the impression that Apple forces you to buy stuff from them and they don't want you to mm-hmm. buy from anybody else, which may be partially true. But there's also a bit of uh, manufacturing, um, you know, which got quality assurance yeah. there from yeah. Apple parts versus, you know, just going to buy a battery off of eBay that somebody says will fit your iPhone, right? Because again, there's that liability that, that Lynn just yep. mentioned. If I go buy a, it's just like buying a, a non-MFI. The reason the MFI program is this for, for cables and chargers is because Apple wants a way to make sure that when you buy a cable uh, or buy a charger, whether you buy it from them or you buy it from Anchor, for example, you know, there's some liability or, or guarantee that this is going to work with your phone versus buying that random $2 cable out of the corner <laughs> gas station mm-hmm. at three o'clock in the morning. Right. You lost your charger mm-hmm. and you set your phone on fire. And this is a thing that has happened. Like this yeah. is not just, you know, what if like this has happened because people are right. using chargers 
or cables or, or you know, chargers that don't have the, the correct kind of voltage regulation that they should have. Right. So that that is a legitimate concern about, you know, knockoff parts, basically. And and going back to what you are talking about, like the specifics of, of the laws and things like that that are being put forth. You know, we're already seeing that with USB-C because what happens whenever the next best USB f- uh, type comes out, like USB-D, I don't know. I'm just saying random, right. you know, concepts. But if that happens, then we will be limited to the USB-C connector in the EU because they say that it everything has to be that connector. So it's saying we can't have anything new because we, we made that that specific yeah. Right. And, I don't know. Yeah. I can't figure out how these governments get off telling a company what to do. That's pretty unusual, right? I mean, usually companies. I mean, not um, really. I guess it's, it's not unusual, I mean, but so just like Apple always says, when somebody tries to lambast them for something that they've done inside of a country that you know, typically here in the U.S., for example, we would be like that is unconscionable. Yeah. Apple has to comply with the laws of the countries that mm-hmm. it does business in, or they don't do business in that country. Like, right. It's just like here, just we're a little bit more freer than some countries. Like they have to take, when China requested, they pull certain apps off the app store for Chinese users inside of China. They don't have a choice. Right. I mean, their only choice is to not do business in China, but that's <laughs> not really a choice at this point for them either. Um, my thing is I just really feel like, Oftentimes the law gets written. I mean, we can step away from this just for a quick second and say GDPR, right? Mm -hmm. The principles why GDPR was created in the EU were laudable principles. I I appreciate it and even applaud them for the attempt that they made. But the implementation, which they were also very specific about, has created nothing but a, a... wrath of cookie banners that we always oh, have yes. to deal with when we go to a it's site awful. that are sometimes yes. completely unnecessary. Right? Yeah, That's the terrible. fallout of somebody being too specific in an industry where things change very fast and not having the foresight to try to put together more of a framework as opposed to a specific set of rules. And I want to point out, we have been getting chat messages on YouTube from this, this one person. I think y'all may know him. Uh, he goes by unmute. You know, I, I think y'all might know who that is. Uh, <laughs> he he oh, mentioned that. Me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that um, yeah. Uh, Michael, we're talking about you. Um, <laughs> but basically, uh, he, he says that, uh, you know, it brings up the question, you know, about dexterity for removing batteries. And then he also has said, uh, and this is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> and see, that goes right back to my point, though, of like, you know, what what is defined as user replaceable? Because, you know, there could be an instance where somebody sues up under this law. Uh, and I don't think people tend to sue as much as they do in the EU as they do here in the U.S. But I could see somebody trying to file a lawsuit because they do have a dexterity issue or they're but, missing a couple of fingers. Right. And they can't change their battery because it's not as easy as, say, a phone was. 12 years ago to just mm-hmm. pop the back off your Android phone and swap the battery out. Right. Right. So, I mean, that, that it's just, it's sticky. And I guess we won't really know until they put the law out, mm-hmm. but at that point it's done. Right. Like we don't, there's, there's no right. recourse. Like it's done. It's like, okay, well now we know what they mean. I don't think they should have did it that way, but now we know what they mean. Right. Yeah. And also um, I can just see it now. Um, you know, iPhone explodes in somebody's face 
Well, that's because this person tried to change their own battery. They used a battery from a, you know, some place on eBay or whatever. And then it gets all over the news that it's Apple's fault, which Mm -hmm. it isn't. And we all know that's going to happen, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. bait. I, I think I even said that in the text message thread. Like, despite the link baiting nature of this, this, this does apply to everybody, and, mm-hmm. and you know that makes a phone or a tablet in the EU. Yep. But the headline was Apple is being forced to make their phones more. It's like because mm-hmm. they want those clicks, right? So the first time something explodes or catches on fire or yep. doesn't function properly is going to be, you know, Apple iPhones are exploding. I mean, and just remember the few years ago with the, the notes, right? When they were catching on fire, you couldn't even get on a plane with a note. All right. And that was a Samsung issue, right? Now mm-hmm. we're letting people just grab random batteries. And Lynn touched on it earlier. You know, there's going to be a battery somebody's going to sell this. You know, this will double the capacity. You know, yes. of your of your mm-hmm. iPhone, right? You know, like yeah, okay, sure it is until it blows up. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's very interesting. This was going to be a, a short kind of check in on the story, <laughs> and uh, we we uh, could you could tell You're that we feel very thoughts. yeah. But you know, you do, you do wonder, like, will this this thing come to the United States? You know what I mean? Like, will will well, is this going to be something that everybody decides to do? And also, I think the EU is trying to. Um, I don't want to get political here, but I think the EU is trying to become a technology hub itself. It's trying to be. Mm-hmm have Silicon Valley of its own. Like it really wants the EU wants to get more into the, um, I guess they want to be, they want to be more in the, to the manufacturing side as well. So all these regulations and everything, I just feel like, I just sort of wonder, is that trying to dampen the competition (laughs) for American? I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I think they're trying to do that. I think they're just trying to, to regulate technology so that it doesn't get out of, out of control and so that they can have a say in what goes on. But the, the, the bigger issue is, is that even though, you know, they're doing things here, we may not think it affects us, but it does because these companies have such a large market in the EU. I mean, look at, you know, the, the USB-C thing, it might force, well, kind of like back to that clickbait kind of talk, it might mm-hmm. force Apple to make a uh, USB-C on iPhones. And, you know, that's been the talk. But it goes back to, you know, like Damasio was saying, GDPR and other things. You know, even though we're not in the EU, we still have to put up with all the cookie banners and all those things. Right, so right. even though the rules aren't here in other places, I mean, in, in other places for those things, the... uh the, the consequences are felt. Global. Right. Mm-hmm. Which means, you know, if they do this right to repair, you know, I mean, this, this battery thing, you know, happens in a way it is going to affect the phones that we have here because there, there's no way for Apple to minimize that. And I don't think it's so much that they're trying to control the companies. I think there are two things going on with the EU. Number one, unlike the United States, um, where our we have a federal government that can make a federal law and make it broad and expansive and cover the entire country. We tend not to do that on most subjects because the founding principles of our country are the states are more independent. They have more autonomy than the countries that make up the EU. 
So the EU can more easily pass a law like this than we could get passed in the federal government because there would be pushback from state representatives that wouldn't let it pass. Like it just wouldn't something things like this don't necessarily easily pass in the U.S. Whereas the EU, you know, they're they're more of a all united. Nobody really pushes back right. against a lot of things uh, because that's that's how they're structured. Right. Our, our structure, our, our overall structure is made up different. I mean, we have. And I deal with this on a regular basis. We have states that are enacting privacy laws for protecting user data online. Seems like the federal government should make that law. But instead, you know, I have to deal with, you know, 17 different states with 17 different sets of rules here. Uh, So I think the EU tends to have their um, I'm going to pull out a cliche here. The harsh in the right place. I think when it comes to a lot of what they're trying to do, because they're really trying to protect the consumer uh, on on a level. I just think the implementation oftentimes is is where they go wrong. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to USB-C. Maybe the law could have said that the the a consortium should come up like the USB-C or whatever the whoever comes up with these standards should make it a standard, and all manufacturers need to follow that standard. Not say this is USB-C is what you must use, right? Right, right. What if a better one comes up, like the Monsi says? Exactly. Are, are mm-hmm. we stuck with this? I mean, so it'll be mm-hmm. interesting to see what happens. Yes. And so you know, let let's let's go ahead and and finally move on because I think we've talked this one quite a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and to more of a positive uh, thing that we found out, and that is a a new feature coming to the. Uh, Vision Pro, and even before we get to that that article that we we talked about uh, that we're going to talk about, I saw a tweet, and I think that this will blow you all away on this. Um, and it's not involving a Samsung phone. Um, <laughs> it, the Vision Pro, according to Paul Hudson, who does uh, hacking with Swift and things like that has been in development for, get this, seven years. Wow. Seven years. Hmm. That's incredible. Wow. Because I know that I had read an article where there were some problems getting things off the ground. um, And some teams within Apple, I guess, were not cooperating together. Mm -hmm. Or um, they were saying that they didn't think that Tim Cook was real excited about the project they didn't feel like he was real excited at first about it and well they always knew they wanted to build this thing but i think mm-hmm. they wanted to wait longer before putting it out right i think it was they wanted to see where it would go further like they they didn't want to put it out yet but with ai and all of these other things coming out this year in technology they had to be they had to do something and Apple is not a software company. Apple is a hardware company. So AI was never going to be, hey, look, we have new AI stuff for your iPhone. That's that's not what they do, yeah. right? Um, Although, I have to say, I saw an article in The Atlantic just recently titled something like, Apple is now an AI company. Isn't that weird? It's like, I saw that and unfortunately it was behind a paywall, so I couldn't read the article. Well, and, and it is true iOS 17 with the um, with the uh, what's it called the autocorrect mm-hmm. and with the uh, dictation 
has gotten much better and mm-hmm. and they really do use some AI like standard AI, like transformer based AIs to uh, learn what you're saying and it's a lot different from what Apple was doing before and I think that you know Apple refuses to use the the language of the day like AI or anything mm-hmm. like that they'll use machine learning or you know the the proper te- terminologies but they will not use AI or the other one and, and to me it's very interesting they will not say virtual reality they'll say you know um you know uh, i think they've used augmented reality or yeah. uh, or or different things but they will not use virtual reality yeah i think some of that is that they have leaned i mean from what i've seen about the um, Vision Pro, like they really focused very much on the fact of being aware of the world around you. It does have the ability to kind of go into that VR mode, uh, where you're, you're just in that, that virtual space, but they really leaned more into, you can do these things and still be here. Like, you know, look at the eye tracking thing that they did so that people can see your eyes or the mm-hmm. indicators that, oh, this person can't see you right now. The, you know, all of that sort mm-hmm. of stuff is designed to keep you engaged and also let people know around you, you know, when you're not able to directly engage with them. So I think that's why they lean so much into it. And I honestly think that the overall goal for this device, even though this is the first, this is just the first iteration. And for me, mm-hmm. I really feel like the vision pro is in a lot of ways, what the Apple watch was when they first launched it, right? Which it had a lot of features. They were on stage talking about all these things you could do. You can open your garage door. You can do this stuff. You can do that stuff. And over time, um, you know, the prices come down a little bit on the Apple watch some, uh, but more so the software has moved more towards what people actually use the watch for the most, which is, you know, notifications, quick interactions and health, which is the biggest thing I think has been used for. And I feel like we're kind of at that point here with the Vision Pro where there's a lot of things that they want to let you know can be done with the device. But it's just the first gen. Like we don't know how people really are going to take to it and what they're going to use it for. Uh, and I think they ultimately want glasses, you know, just a frame that you put on that will have augmented reality overlaid world and and still have some of those VR components probably built into that. But I think that's really where they've been trying to get to for the longest time is we want to overlay augmented reality over the world that you're in. So you're still in Mm -hmm. the place that you're in and you're just getting more information or more engagement with the thing. And we we've had more chat messages from, from unmute. And, and he's saying that, he hasn't noticed much of a difference with autocorrect and dictation, but he's heard from a lot of users that they have. And I'm one of those. I feel like dictation for me has gotten so much better uh, in in 17. I almost can trust, as long as I'm in a good environment that's not going to be too loud, that it's going to have a good experience with uh, getting my voice. So I've been very pleased with it. There's still a few things it doesn't get right but um and and, it, and it's unclear if uh that's the 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 audio or the beta or if there's bugs or if it's switching between the old model and the new model like the way it worked before and the way it works now but i i feel like we are you know and and going back to the apple watch you know could we even be seeing the end of the apple watch because if you have the vision pro on can you imagine this if for sighted users, if you look down at your app at your arm, what if you saw an Apple Watch there? Think about that. 
I mean, wouldn't that be incredible? I mean, maybe you'd need the watch for workouts and things like that. But what if you weren't wearing one and you looked down at your arm with a Vision Pro on and you saw the Apple Watch and you could see the time? All of these things are possible with this headset. And that kind of brings up uh, the topic I want to bring up, mention, and that's item search. Like with voiceover and things on, you'll be able to like search for different items and see what's in your environment that was announced. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. That is exciting uh, to, to hear about it. And I think it's going to be a useful feature. Um, my, my thing with that is like, I, I feel like, like I, there was a lot of uh, uproar, shall we say from the internet, because there was no specific mention of accessibility during the keynote about the Apple vision and, you know, I think just patience, right? Patience. Right. Like, there, this is yeah. such a new device. This is an entirely new platform for them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I like I said, you know, I'm pretty sure accessibility is going to be there. Curious how they're going to do it. How is it going to work? What features, what additional features for accessibility are going to be added that are, may, may not be, you know, as useful for a sighted user or a person without a disability? Uh, I'm pretty sure there are going to be things that come out that don't affect me directly as a blind person, but may help somebody that has a hearing impairment. Or uh, mm-hmm. I've already heard about the the uh, the eye tracking. I forget what they exactly name it, but the, the eye tracking feature or being able to be switched mm-hmm. to uh, just using your eyes to to tr- to manipulate the interface. Right. For a person that may have, uh, you know, uh, may be paralyzed or, or, or may have. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, motor skill issues, right? So again, not something that directly affects me as a user, but there's another feature for someone else with a different type of disability or a different category category of mm-hmm. disability that you know is there already. Like they're all, it's already here, right? And I still, you know, honestly, don't feel like there's software at this point, right? And also, I think Apple is sort of handing this to developers and saying, you know, okay, we're giving this to you guys. Let's see what you can do with it, and that is probably where you know a lot of the excitement's going to be because develop um, developers are going to say, "Oh, I have this, and I have this, and this is what I can do. I can build an application that is able to, you know, do something that's never been done before." Um, and it's just developers. It's going to take time for them to get excited about it and and um, just you know take the software to its limits. And so, so that's. I saw a one of the developers that I follow on Mastodon was doing a demo with the Vision Pro this week and he put a little a little animated gif up on on Mastodon. And this is why I think the Vision Pro is going to be so incredible. He showed a, a little app he created and in the Vision Simulator it showed him moving up to and looking down at a table and there was a little credit card sized now playing widget sitting on the table with a play button next previous and all of those things on this little credit card sized little device like or 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 thing sitting on the table and it showed him like just taking it spinning it moving it around and I'm like that that's incredible that wow. that that kind of detail is just incredible right because if we can just make UI that's just in our in our environment and and that we could just I okay and, and just think about this what if in the future and this might even be in version 1 what if there's just objects like what if somebody gives you like a a 
virtual object and you could just take it with you. Like you just grab it, you you put it like in a virtual storage and you just have it like it's it's digital. It's just virtual. Mm-hmm. But you can pick it up and look at it anytime you want or you know or or hear it or or anything else like that. That's incredible, folks. Like that just that amount of what you can do with this technology is going to be endless. And I'm just really I, I will be going on about the Vision Pro until I get one. So just <laughs> letting letting y'all know that, that that's a thing. Yeah. And I understand that because I go on and on about AI all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get people out of the mindset of thinking about AI as, you know, destroying humanity and all this stuff. And I think, I mean, maybe the Vision Pro has a little bit of the same problem is that it has to be, the public needs to feel like it's something that could benefit them. Um, I mean, it's awesome for us geeky people that love tech things and love to be able to um, just imagine what these things can do. But I mean, like, we're we're not really normal people, per se. <laughs> Hate to, hate to tell you guys that, but you're not normal, okay? <laughs> well, um, and let's be let's be real. AI, if in in if used incorrectly or if taught incorrectly, could be sure. a detriment to humanity. Absolutely. But any tool can can be that, and yes. I think we just need to monitor our expectations. Really, is the key. Well, and keep an open mind as well. Yes. I'm trying to keep an open mind because. You know, part of me is like, I can't afford this thing. Like, at its current price, I will not have it. Mm-hmm. So, but um, that's going to be that, the case for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. And I also really think that, you know, here's the problem that Apple has to kind of fight against uh, is one that people, a lot of just people who are not following the stories, not really paying attention, like you said, Lynn, not, not the geeky people that are really getting excited about it right now without it even existing in the world. Like, you know, there's probably less than a thousand people outside of Apple that have actually put their hands on one of these at this point, And we're still excited about it. Um, I think for a lot of people, there's going to be the expectation. Oh, it's just Apple's version of, you know, insert name of any of the pre-existing VR headsets that are, that are already out mm-hmm. there now. That's one thing they have to fight against. Another thing is just the unexpected nature of Apple early releasing a device before they even feel like it's perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. Typically when Apple releases something, they're pretty sold on what they have created at this point. And if they're wrong about that, it takes them several years to figure out that they were wrong about that. I don't think they're doing that with this device. I think they're this first version. I really believe is for developers is for the, the, authority, enthusiasts that can afford it and you know is it, for the 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 early adopters and again go back to the apple watch right everybody didn't run out and buy it i didn't even have the first generation apple watch because i'm like i mean all i think i'm gonna <laughs> use it for is notifications and like i'm cool <laughs> like i don't i don't think i need to get one right now uh especially for that cost uh, mm-hmm. and i'm gonna want the sale model and also i was eyeballing the uh the stainless steel model, which for me with cellular at that time would have been like 11, 1200 bucks. I was like, eh, I'm not really sure if I need that. Um, but I, again, you look around now, there are more Apple watches. There are people who have Apple watches now that I know personally that, you know, if you would have asked me would this person ever have bought an Apple watch, I would be like, no, the only way they would take somebody gave one to them and they probably would never wear it. And they're, they're, you know, very avid Apple watch users again, mostly for exercise and, and health, which is what that device turned into. 
Um, I think their first round of Division Pro, you know, developers are going to get there, you know, buy it and, and build on it. Uh, enthusiasts, you know, like Michael and, and others are going to buy it. And I mean, Michael's kind of in that dual space because he's a developer and a, a enthusiast. So, you know, he's going to be one of the people that are going to come back and tell us like how this thing works, works great about it. But I also feel like they're not at a point that this is supposed to be yet for everybody because the price is way too high. I mean, let's be honest, like the price is way higher than anybody would. Most people won't spend that amount of money on a actual computer, uh, let alone just a headset that you can wear for about two hours where you need to charge it up. But mm-hmm. I think over the next few years, what we're going to see is more refinement out of this product. Uh, the technology is going to be cheaper. I, mean, I was reading uh, the other day and I can't remember where, where, where the source was for it. Uh, but we're saying that they're getting these screens from, I think, Sony and Sony, Sony. Can only make X number of these screens a year. Like Apple's tried to get them to make more like, no, this is all we can do. But there's not a market for those. There has not been a high demand market mm-hmm. for those screens either. In three years time, Apple may be having, you know, have invested money in Sony or as Apple has done in other cases, went out and found another company that can make uh, similar quality screens for them and either buy them or like they did with uh, Corning in the Gorilla Glass, mm-hmm. invest a ton of money into them to get them where they need to be so they can be Apple's manufacturer. So all of those things have to come along as well as the use cases for this device, the improvements, the miniaturization, the cost level to come mm-hmm. down. You know, when Sony says they can make 100,000 of these screens a year or something like that, and I think like 800,000 of these screens a year, uh, generally speaking, and I'm pretty sure Apple's not their only customer at this point. So, you know, that leaves Apple probably getting, you know, somewhere between five to 700,000 of these, which is, you know, two, two to 300 thousand units that they can ship in a year we're nowhere near the scale that they need to be right. at for everybody to have this and that's one exactly. of the reasons the cost is so high but the cost is going to come down and we're going to learn more about how people want to use this mm-hmm. uh, and rumors out there already working on a a standard vision which won't be a pro i'm not sure what would be the differences there but i, I feel like we're we're in an unusual position of yep seeing apple in a way, do what Google has done so much of over the years, which is throw a thing out there and be like, okay, let's figure out what it does now. Like, let's figure out how people use it, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, and iterate over that over the next, you know, five to seven years. You know, usually, like I said, Apple releases a thing. Look what we've given you. Uh, now, we're, we can't wait to see what you do with it. Whereas now it's like, hey, we don't really know what we're going to do with this either, but let's work together on this, which is unusual mm-hmm. for Apple to be in that position. Now, to wrap this up, uh, you know, one thing that's interesting, though, about the Vision Pro is that it does uh, f- fulfill this new EU law that we just talked about. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't replace the battery. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. I like that. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Maybe that's what's going to happen. We're all going to have battery packs hanging off of us for well, um, yeah, well, that's a good point. It's kind of funny <laughs> to think about. Hey, here's your removable battery right yeah, there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's going to be awesome. You know, that's another thing I feel like, though, that holds this product back. And I don't say hold it, holds it back, but curves the potential for a headset from anybody at this point is the battery. We're still on battery tech that was, you know, current mm-hmm. 20 years ago. Yep. Know, 25 years ago, right? Battery tech has not moved as fast as everything else has. We still don't have that smaller source of power 
that could let you power a, a, a headset or a pair of mm-hmm. glasses like this all day long. Uh, you know, they usually top out around two hours, seems like. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the interesting thing is <clears throat> we have, we don't have new battery tech, but we have new charger tech and that's that GAN, the, the GAN chargers. Oh yeah. And those are really charger. cool. And like, Man, that's that, all I buy now. Yeah. And, and like the, the MacBook chargers, I, I'm wondering if that 35 watt adapter for the MacBook Airs is GAN, uh, but for sure the 140 watt uh, charger for the MacBook Pro, the 16 inch is definitely GAN. I uh, I remember reading that, so it's interesting, you know, seeing the miniaturization of these chargers, like from Apple, and they they they've done some really cool uh, plugs uh, and, and chargers lately. So, but moving on, uh, uh, we've. According to the stream, we've already been going nearly an hour, which is crazy. And we haven't even talked about pass keys yet, which is, you know, uh, our, our big topic today. And so um, I guess to start us off, we've talked about pass keys before on the podcast, but do you, um, uh, uh, or Lynn, do you guys use pass keys? Absolutely. I haven't used it yet, but. It does seem like there are a lot of advantages. So, Demasi, do you do you want to talk about you know some basically what your your opinions of pass keys are and, and how they're useful and why they're different? Sure. So, you know, to quickly review for listeners, uh, pass keys are a new means of logging in and authenticating to a web service or application uh, instead of using a username and password, which we're used to, and they're basically using public key cryptography uh, to to manage this. And essentially, so I the first one, it's not the first one I set up, but the most, probably the easiest one for anybody to go set up right now would be a Google account uh, for sure, because uh, most people have one of those. Uh, so now when I log into my Google account, I just type in my email address because I still have to give it my email address uh, so it, for it to know who I am. But then I get a alert that pops up and I can either touch ID on my Mac or face ID from my phone. And a really cool thing for me with the Mac and pass keys is because I use my Apple Watch to unlock the Mac. Uh, when the pass key prompt comes up and my MacBook is actually like maybe a foot or away from where I'm actually sitting at because I'm using an external Bluetooth keyboard. I don't have to reach over the desk to hit touch ID. I can just double click my watch to get in and that's it. I'm done. Like there's no second factor. There's no mm-hmm. type in a code. There's no remembering a password. It's email address, you know, touch ID, face ID, you know, some some kind of, you know, magic authentication with the watch or, or anything like that. And then you're in, right? You're into your account, but it still is very secure. Like there's, there's yes. not a low, there's not a lesser lessening of your security there. It's actually more secure than a username and password because it's not possible for a website to now lose your password in a breach. And then now people can access that site. If they don't have your device that holds the private key to authenticate to this website, they're never going to get in. Right now. I mean, there, there are some concerns that I have and maybe, maybe Demas, you, you have a way of uh, debunking these, but I'll get to those in just a minute. But, you know, I think it was Steve Gibson on Security Now, um, uh, the podcast on the Twit Network. He said that, you know, logging into a system has been the same for 50 years. In in 1973, he said that he would log in with a username and password on 
a, a terminal client where you didn't even have a hard drive. You would just log in with your, your username and password. And that's been the way that things have worked on the web ever since then, you know. And now this has been the first big change to that process, which I think is fascinating. That is fascinating, but it is true. I mean, we're still using usernames and passwords, the same things that they started with in the early days when computers were as big mm -hmm. as, you know, small sheds. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you still would connect to that mainframe with a username and password. So it, it's fascinating that we have finally gotten to something that may replace that, which can remove the angst. And I'm, I'm interested to hear what some of your concerns are about pass keys, because I have some myself. Like, I'm, I'm, I like the technology. I know the technology mm -hmm. itself is solid and secure, but I do have some concerns. Right. And and basically, I, I've only used pass keys on my Google account, but I know that Best Buy and other websites do support them. But one of the things that I've heard is a lot of these websites are not implementing pass keys on their own. They're using a third party solution to implement pass keys. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my question is if somebody's using a third party solution to implement a pass key system, what is, you know, what is, what is uh, keeping that third party solution from being hacked to request your public key and then, you know, socially engineer the person to use their private key, their the pass key. Basically, if somebody's impersonating Best Buy, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 you know, they've they've gotten your user data from Best Buy, right? Does it make it possible for a a mm -hmm. bad actor to intercept and get in the middle of your authentication and pretend right. they, pretend they're Best Buy or on the other side pretend that they're you to Best Buy? So I wanna first give a a uh, qualification here. I don't know exactly what Best Buy is using. Uh, we're going to use them in this example, but I don't know exactly mm -hmm. what they're Correct. using. So <laughs> I, I want to make sure that I'm not besmirching them intentionally. I just want them as an example. Mm -hmm. There are uh, there are companies that are using um, third-party services to service passkeys, and these are some of the ones that popped up very early with passkey support. And there are, depending on... I don't know if this applies to all of them, but I know one that I first became familiar with uh, that was providing the, the, the passkey service to websites as a third party. They were susceptible to a man in the middle attack, which means someone could have intercepted your authentication to, you know, let's say Best Buy and then had you on a site that pretended to be Best Buy, but was not. And because you're trusting the pass keys because they're supposed to be the way pass keys, honestly, are supposed to work is you have a private key on your device and in and, and Apple's ecosystem and Android's ecosystem. Uh, those pass keys can be synced between devices and some of the password managers are also working on the ability for you to store pass keys there. What you're essentially storing is a private key that never should leave your device. And it is always on device. Apple and Google are very, you know, are, are syncing those between devices for you in a very secure manner. They can't access them, at least with Google, uh, Apple. They can't even see those. But that means my pass keys are on all of my Apple devices. I go to bestbuy.com. The way that this should be done to be done correctly to fully comply with the specifications is Best Buy has a public key for me on their server and they send me a secret essentially where we'll put it like this. They send me a secret and I can't decrypt that secret unless I have the private key. If I can decrypt that secret and then send them back the answer, they say, Oh yeah, you're you. I'm going to let you into your account. 
right? If Michael were to try to go to Best Buy and put in my email address, he wouldn't be able to give the correct answer to the secret because he wouldn't be able to decrypt, to decrypt it because he does not have the matching private key. Uh, and that's a very simple, simplified way of how public private key cryptography works is you encrypt people encrypt things with your public key. And if you have the correct private key, you can decrypt them. If you don't have the correct private key, you can't decrypt them. That's essentially how it works <clears throat> for these. So that should be a client to server relationship. Basically, my device is the client. Best Buy should be the server. Well, what's going on with some companies is they're offloading that and kind of redirecting your request to a third party server to have the third party server do the authentication. And then they tell Best Buy, you know, oh, yeah, this is Demasi. Let them into the account or no, this is not Demasi. He was not able to answer the secret. Don't let the person into the account. Right. So they're rife. They are open in some cases for a man in the middle, because if somebody were in the right position and you know, sound enough, they could intercept any of these conversations and pretend to be someone on the other end of this process and and, and manage to access your stuff, uh, which is not the best. Uh, and it's one of the reasons none of the websites that I have built or manage at the moment have passkey support because I haven't found a reliable server side way and haven't taken the time to try to build it myself. Uh, server side component to run for WordPress that will give passkey support, right? Because I don't want to use a third-party service because to me, that's opening me up to them losing something or to, again, somebody intercepting, you know, a message between my device, their third-party server and the service that I'm trying to authenticate to and in some way get to be me in Best Buy. And then they go buy a TV in Best Buy on my credit card and then I got to pay for it. So your concerns there are valid. Uh, I, I know for sure Google's doing it right because Google has the infrastructure. I understand right. why these third party companies have existed. And to be fair, I haven't, you know, I have, I don't know about all of the third parties that are providing this type of backing up service mm-hmm. uh, for a passkey. So there, there may be a means that they're doing it and doing it correctly where, you know, none of these concerns exist. But I do know the first company that I became familiar with, it was very quickly pointed out by uh, security researchers that, Hey, up under these conditions, uh, you know, this is less secure because of how they were doing it. And it could just be their implementation of it. So that is a concern to be aware of. So I guess for for most people, the the I guess it, it, it comes down to anything because any website could be using a third party to handle logins. You you just don't know. Most of the time not, right? But I but think they with could the, be. they could be. But I think with pass keys right now, it's so early on that I think that you'd want to do your, in, in my opinion, you want to do your research before you just say, yeah, I'll just start using my pass key on every website that I can possibly do it on, right? Is, yeah. is that kind of how you would, would handle it if you're a user out there like, oh, pass keys are so amazing, right? Yeah, that that has been my position. Like, I mean, one, I don't actually have a Best Buy account, so I don't have one set up with them anyway. Uh, but yeah, for me, I'm not activating pass keys, uh, for sites unless it's a company like Google or Apple or Amazon, who I know for sure off the, you know, I don't even have to go research it. Like I know Google has the infrastructure to put this in place. They mm-hmm. were a part of the team that, you know, came up with the specifications and, and the implementations for this. So they have their stuff together. If I were say going to, you know, my website, 
I'm not going to implement pass keys until I know I can do it right and I know exactly mm-hmm. how to do it. I'm not going to use a third party service to provide that that pass key, you know, authentication for me just to be amongst the first sites, you know, first hundred or thousand or hundred thousand million sites to offer pass keys to people. I'd rather it be done right because one, not everybody's going to adopt them anyway. So you're still going to have to support username and passwords. And two, yeah, I want it to be done correctly. So Google, I turned mine on when they told me, you know, oh, it's available mm-hmm. for your account. I instantly went and set it up because I was like, me okay, too. now mm-hmm. let's see how this works, right? Because here's a company that I know did it right. Let's see how it works. And it's been great. Like, I like it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I'm not rushing out to turn it on everywhere that I possibly can. I'm still, in most cases, using username, password, and, you know, everywhere possible, a second factor authentication uh, as well. So, Lynn, do you do you have you done much research into this? Is it is passkey something you're interested in, or is it just kind of a techie thing? I definitely am interested, only because the whole idea of the whole password thing, and it's sort of it's just not the greatest thing. Even TFA is is. I don't know. It's all, it's really clunky and it just feels like there has to be a better way. Um, and so I, I don't know. I'm, I haven't implemented them yet, but if I'm convinced of the, um, you know, the good, the goodness of doing so, then I will do it. <laughs> I just haven't done it yet. Now, yeah. I, one concern I have is, so I'm traveling. I mean, this is I'm going to make a little bit of a exaggeration here, but I'm traveling to Houston next next week for a NFB convention. I'll be traveling to Houston for the NFB convention. Right. If I were not going for work it is entirely possible. I would go and take just my iPhone with me. Right. No computer because I don't, I don't I wouldn't necessarily need the computer. You know, let's say I took this trip with just my iPhone, my Apple Watch and, you know, all the other stuff, headphones and all of that. Right. But no laptop with me at all. So I only have the one or two Apple devices. What happens to me in Houston if I drop my phone in the pool? Now, I have a laptop or a desktop back at home that has my pass keys on them, but I don't have one with me. I could go buy a new phone or go make an Apple Care claim and get a new phone. But uh, And I recently read somewhere, I didn't dive into it uh, yet, that Apple is now offering or is going to start offering passkey support for your Apple ID. So if I had passkeys turned on for my Apple ID and I dropped my phone in the pool, so I don't have my phone, don't have another Apple device around that could serve to, to help me get in. Even if I go get a replacement phone from Apple, how do I sign into my iCloud to get all of my stuff back on that phone if I'm using passkeys? Well, I do believe that they, I mean, I, I could be mistaken, but I do believe they offer, even Google offers a, uh, the option to enter your password. Uh, but True. they do, they do scrutinize that, uh, that approach because they say, if, if you're using a passkey, why do you need to be entering your password? Um, so they, that I did read that they do, uh, monitor the password entry more. Uh, if you have pass keys enabled, but yeah. and how about biometrics as a backup? Well, that, so that, that that's, that's basically sorry, are authenticating you know. yeah. The, the pass keys are using your biometrics for, um, you know, working with those private and public keys. 
so my my question, I guess I should I should be a little bit more explicit though, because yeah, everybody right now, and that's another thing to mention. So I'm glad you did bring that up though, Michael. Is that people right now, even Google and other companies, are still offering the ability to fall back to a password. Uh, if if for some reason you don't have your passkey device handy or it's not working or whatever yeah. this may be, uh, that is still an option. But the goal, as stated, is that we're going to eventually get to a world where you know. Apple, Google, Amazon, all of the, especially all of the big tech companies and all of the mm-hmm. big websites are going to only be using passkeys. So mm-hmm. in that world, what happens in this scenario I just described? Right. That's I mean, maybe it, it, it's not a thing to, you know, go nuts about or say, I'm not going to use, you know, passkeys. Mm-hmm. It's not a thing to be overly concerned about today. And it's not a reason not to start using passkeys on places that are safe to use them. But it is, to me, one of those issues that needs to be solved for before we get too far down this road. You know, it kind of ties back to something you said earlier, Michael, you know, just being mindful and conscious of what steps we're taking with technology before we get too far down the road. And there's not a way to turn around. Right. And I think I I, my and this kind of comes back to what's what's in the box, you know, when you buy something. Right. We assume that when you buy a new iPhone, you've already owned an iPhone, so you don't need a power brick, right? Yeah. That that's an assumption that Apple and and Google and others are making now when they sell these phones, that you don't need a power brick because you already have one, or you're going to plug it into your computer, right? So we don't sell uh, power. They don't sell power bricks with their phones. I wonder how much of that too is also going back to. A- earlier conversation is in response to the EU's, you know, mm-hmm. insistence about reducing the waste too, though. Right. 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 So it, it also is, you know, how much is it about all of these things? And because uh, a lot of people did not have USB-C whenever they, uh, you know, you, you got a cable in your iPhone box that was USB-C to lightning, you know, and uh, what's this? I don't, I don't have this kind of plug. Mm-hmm. So then you had to go out there and spend money. And I think that's kind of the same here. People have their one phone. And, and, and uh, you know, I also think about, like, the people that use Blind Shell, right? I don't I, – I could be wrong. So if I am, You're I'm, not I'm wrong. Blind Shell, as it, the current Blind Shell Classic 2, as it exists today, will not have support mm-hmm. for passkeys. Right. I, I don't see a way for them to implement mm-hmm. that. And so what what if this becomes mandated in the future where everybody has to sign in with pass keys, right, to get into your Google account, to get into your, you know, whatever account you're going to sign into? What if that becomes mandated? What what do people that use these older devices do? It's kind of like, you know, uh, I I keep hearing different things change about this, but AM radio, you know, possibly going away. It, it, and and people still use it, right? And and like the headphone jack, people use that, right? Yep. So it, it, it's like, what do you do to stick with the times? I guess. Yeah. What What do you do to stick with the times? And how do you bring people along who are not mm-hmm. going to be, whether they're earlier adopters or just you know they move <laughs> along as the as the herd moves along? Like you know, what about those people who lag behind intentionally? Right. Right. I mean, I right. talk to people on a regular basis who still have flip phones. And I mm-hmm. didn't even know they still made flip phones, but apparently mm-hmm. they can still buy one. 
Right. So what do you do about Because you can't go to a, a, a person and say, okay, well, you know, if you want to be able to access your, your Gmail account from your computer now, you're going to have to, uh, you know, I- implement these pass keys that that is mandatory. Okay, well, that's fine. They're, they're connecting to it from their laptop. Everybody thinks that's great. Nobody thinks about what happens when this person is, you know, at a family member's house on vacation and needs to check their email. Uh, and there's no passkey there and they're carrying a flip phone or they're carrying mm-hmm. a phone that does not support this. Right. Again, it's just being mindful and thinking about it. And it kind of goes back again, tying back to, you know, our early conversation about the EU, you know, having the flexibility to make changes to something when needed instead of just say, dictating like this is the way it must be right. because there's no it's too rigid right you you don't account for the edge cases you don't account for the uh you know improvements that may exist or or things like this and that is a concern for me like one of my concerns about some of the devices people use nowadays is there's no two factor application available to you on that device and people are moving away <laughs> from text messages right i mean Twitter has said, if you're not paying for Twitter, you have to use, which is a little weird, but <laughs> you have to use a uh, an app yeah, right. or a YubiKey. If you want text messages, you have to be paying yes. us money. But what people don't realize is those text messages do cost them money. Right? I understand, you know, kind right. of the principle behind that. It just looks weird from the outside. Like you want a secure. secure method, you got to pay mm-hmm. money. Uh, I'm all for improving the security and trying to make improvements of security easy for everybody because even in 2023 like not everybody you know has a password manager not everybody you know is using iCloud keychain or or Google's password syncing they should be but they're not so pass keys are an attempt to make things more secure and alleviate the 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 anxiety for people whether it's I forgot my password, which happens routinely to people around me. I forgot my password. What's my password? It's like, oh, let me go look it up for you and I'll get it to you. Or more so from my perspective is right now, if a site gets breached and they were not doing their security correctly, now they've put me at risk uh, mm-hmm. because now my password has been breached. And more so for those people not using a password manager are really at risk because they probably are reusing passwords. Even if they have a method and a means to how they do so, they're still probably reusing passwords. So, you know, pass keys are an attempt to make the world, the, the world of online interaction more secure for everybody, even those that are not the geeky ones, not the techie people that mm-hmm. don't, you know, not going to use any of that. But, you know, like you brought up uh, and I've said, like, there are still some and Lynn's kind of hesitation. I've seen is a little bit from like, well, I'm not sure if I could jump in this yet because uh, I just don't know. Like, it's too new. But mm-hmm. as we get further and further down the road of people implementing this, uh, I, I do want answers to, you know, the edge cases. Right. And maybe my example for me was a little bit of an edge case because there's no trip for a week and not have my laptop. So I'm on a business. <laughs> Right. But there are a lot of people who I know mm-hmm. that's all they're going to have at convention is going to be their phone. I couldn't do it. I, c- I can't live without nah, my computer. I, I can't. I couldn't do it either. I mean, that's why I said for me, it's a hypothetical. But in mm-hmm. reality, there are people that would be there with just their phone. Right. right. Uh, or, or just, you know, the device that they use most of the times that has their passkey. And again, what happens when you lose that connection mm-hmm. to that device for whatever reason? Are you now locked out of everything is is very similar to what do you do? If you forget your one password and one right. password, like you're, you're hosed is what you are. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I hope people listening to this podcast are, are not thinking that we're saying don't use pass keys. No, 
use them. Like if, oh, if you want to use them, yeah, try them it, yeah, try it out. It, it's a great experience as as long as you know they work for you. I know uh, Allison Sheridan was saying she had trouble with her her Google account working with pass keys, which is a shame because for me it just worked perfectly the first time I set it up. You know, it's like. Yeah, um, Allison should try again because initially I wasn't able to get it to trigger to ask mm-hmm. like to to do pass keys once I set it up in Google. It still just wanted to use username and password. And you know the initial account I set it up on was a Gmail account that I don't use a lot because my other Google account is a Workspace account. You know I recently got told you know from Google that hey you can turn this on now for your Workspace account. I was like, can awesome, you? Because that's where I want it. Yeah. Can you? you got that email? Yeah. Uh, no, I well they they send so many. You know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I that one I was I had been looking for though, so I, I saw that one come in. <laughs> oh, that's great news! Yeah, I can't wait to go turn, turn that off. In, in your turn work, that on. Your workspace yeah. users, yeah, to allow them. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I went back maybe a couple of weeks after I initially activated it for my gmail.com account and you know, it, it worked fine. Like I, and I was even in a private tab and I was like, okay, I typed in my email cause I needed to check email for, uh, you know, uh, a, a program that I'm in. And I was like, I need mm-hmm. to see what's going on here. And, uh, yeah, it popped up. I was like, oh, use your pass key. And then my watch tapped me on the wrist and I was like, oh, I can just double click the watch. Hey, I like this. This is really nice. <laughs> I really like this. Smoothest yeah. login experience mm-hmm. I've ever had. Right. And I I wonder if they're going to store pass keys on the watch or if that's not a thing. Um, I don't know because I don't know. I actually don't even know the details of how iCloud keychain goes across. Like if that gets fetched from the phone mm-hmm. to the watch or if that's, you know, in some way stored on the watch. Um, right. So that's going to be interesting to see how they do that. I mean, can you imagine like if maybe maybe you do drop your, your phone in the water, right? And yeah, you have to get a new phone. watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm good. That 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 would be my hope for Apple is that they would mm-hmm. spread it out across as many devices. And right. again, we're still in the early stages of this. You know, there's prob- probabilities of different ways of being able to recover access to your account. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's going to have to be a way. It's just right now. I don't know what the answer is. And until I know what the answer is, like, I, I, I'm curious until we mm-hmm. know how do we solve for that. Right. Well, this has been very interesting, and this is kind of the conversation I was hoping we'd have. Do you guys have any final thoughts now that we've been talking people's ears off for for like uh, uh, eighty minutes? <laughs> uh, we still came in under the hour and a half mark that I thought we were going to hit anyway. So <laughs> good. Well, we're, we're not done yet. We still got picks and all that good stuff. So, you know. <laughs> well, this is, my advice is to make sure you have more than one Apple device. So if you don't have more than one Apple device, go out and get one today. She's working for Apple. I just want you to buy multiple Apple devices. I knew she was secretly working for Apple. See? Now we know. And and it doesn't matter which Apple device you have. If you have more than one, you can use these on on any of them, which is really nice. And 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 they do have that new feature coming where you could share your pass keys in iOS 17. That's what I'm excited about is yeah. iCloud keychain getting now getting the you know a, a more synchronous uh, password sharing and passkey sharing because again mm-hmm. when Netflix turns this on and you know you have family in your house who also watches Netflix and they have passkeys turned on you know again how are they going to solve for that I know how one mm-hmm. password would solve for that but now iCloud keychain will also solve for that yep. which is uh, awesome I am really excited about that. Now, it may, I, I guess it just shares to other iCloud accounts, but the question is still out how you could share between iOS and Android. Like if you're, you know, you want to send the, the pass key to 
you know, your Android phone. Fortunately, if you have, if you're, if it's a Google pass key, it will set it up on both iOS and Google devices. So that's pretty nice or Android devices. Yeah. But if it's like Best Buy, then you have to set it up on both. You'd have to create a pass key on both your iOS and your Google devices. Yeah. So whichever one you set up first, you will have to authenticate Mm -hmm. with, and then you can add that second device, which will give you a second pass key for that account. But now Mm -hmm. you have it on Android and Apple, um, which it is a way I I kind of feel, I feel like that's a little fiddly, Mm -hmm. but I also feel like I also know for sure that the possibility exists that they could sort this out and make it a little bit more seamless. Uh, And again, you know, it's going to take time for some of that stuff to shake out. And and just like the immediately. Just like the Vision Pro, this is all still early. <laughs> yep. Yep. And, so and we have less than, you know, probably 10% of the top, you know, million sites in the world using passkeys at this point. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's still a thing that has to grow. And as it grows, we're going to see more and more solutions come yep. out. I mean, when they launched them last year, which is when they launched them, <laughs> when they launched them initially, there was no iCloud. There was no way to share a passkey from iCloud if you were, you know, had jumped on an early site and set them up. Uh, mm-hmm. But look how long it took Google to roll it out for themselves. Uh, and Google was the first of the big ones, I believe. Yeah, as far as I know, yeah. they, they were the first of the big companies to do it. And they and, definitely, I think, were the first of the, uh, you know, companies that were that, that came together. I think it was Google, Apple, mm-hmm. and Microsoft that all came together to put this. A few others, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Google was the first one to actually have it implemented and, where it just works. And I think others are just looking at Google saying, okay, what worked and what didn't? Right before they, yep. before they implement their own. Well, like you said, just like Vision Pro, you know, this is still early days. A lot of this stuff is going to shake itself out. We're going to see improvements. We're going to see. I think a lot of the edge cases get covered. You know, ways to back these up or, or alternative methods to get into an account. If you, I mean, it may be a hassle, but you know, try losing your Google password and proving to them that you you are who you say you are. Like, trust me, I, <laughs> I have a I have a family member where this is all too common. I have one too who shall not be named that uh yeah, we had to go through this process one time which started me to saving their Google password in my password oh, manager oh, so that this, they would this, call up. This person would would I would save it and then they'd go change it. And 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 then we would at one point we locked them out of their account for, <laughs> for six months because we could not get into it. And so I said the first thing I do when I go home from convention and see my family is I'm setting up pass keys for them so that this is not an issue anymore. Yes sir, that is a good idea actually. I should set <laughs> pass keys up for my family member that has this problem too. <laughs> well, with all that being said, I, I I think we'll go go ahead and wrap this thing up for today, but as we as we typically do uh, Lynn, do you have a pick this week and where can people find you online? I do have a pick and this is a book this time and it's called The Loop, How Technology is Creating a World Without Choices and How to Fight Back. And it's by Jacob Ward. And the um, DB number is, if you have NLS, it's 106549. Um, and the book talks about how companies are exploiting our human nature, the things that are inborn biases and our our behaviors that we needed evolutionarily, um, but now are being sort of turned against us and and, um, keeping us addicted to our technology. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just an interesting book. 
Um, well, see, so, yeah. see, I'll have to read that because I have very strong opinions on on that topic too. Mm -hmm. But that could lead us down another ninety minute, uh, <laughs> oh, another man. ninety minute rabbit hole, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very opinionated on that topic. Yeah, I don't, I don't totally agree with everything in the book, but it's very fascinating how they understand how our brains work and they're able to manipulate our human uh, nature really to turn us into mindless yeah, capitalistic it, 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 zombies. It, it comes down to <laughs> uh, who has more willpower, the companies or the people that use That's the technology. Right. And, you know, then we have the other side of people that want to protect us from ourselves saying, mm -hmm. well, you know, we need to have regulation so you don't addic get addicted to your front. See, I, right. I could get down this soapbox. and yep, Like the yeah. guardrails on we'll AI. We'll save that one for another show. We'll yes. Yeah, that, that definitely is a rabbit hole there. That is an oh, interesting Lord. conversation to have, but yeah, yeah. That, that is a long mm -hmm. conversation because oh, I yeah. got a lot of thoughts too. <laughs> so where can people find you online, Lynn? Um, my, I have email is Cane Prince, almost like footprints, only cane, at hotmail.com. Excellent. And how about you, Damasi? What's your, do you have a pick and where can people find you online? So I do have a pick and I came in with a, a tentative pick on my mind. But as we were talking about Apple Vision and the future of technology and how things can go wrong or not go wrong, uh, I switched my pick and Lynn picked a book. I was like, oh man, Lynn is going to pick exactly what I was going to pick, but she was, she was not picking what I was picking. So I'm going to recommend two books. Uh, they, they, they are a pair that go together. Uh, and they're by Daniel Suarez. Uh, oh. unfortunately I did not do enough research like Lynn, so I don't have DB numbers for you, but Demon. Uh, oh, yeah. A E M O N, uh, like, like the, uh, system monitor and Freedom TM. Uh, yes. Read those. And there are two things that the reason I switched over to these picks is because um, I feel like there's a good example from how Daniel Suarez wrote in these books of what the Apple Vision glasses could be. And Michael's comment about what if there was just a virtual object that you could just pick up and take with you and it was always there and you, you could manipulate it and use it. And it's like, huh, sounds like demon. Ah, so <laughs> there's that aspect of it. And there's a little bit of that whole, you know, how people try to manipulate you, which somewhat ties into Lynn's pick a little bit, but also how we as human beings and citizens tend to figure things out for ourselves. So very good set of books. Um, I, I was turned on to them a few years ago by listening to a podcast that mentioned them and they're one of my favorites. Uh, so definitely check those out. Demon and Freedom TM by Daniel Suarez. And you can hook up with me online. I'm on Mastodon. Uh, where am I at on Mastodon? I'm Damasi, D-A-M-A-S-H-E, at unmute.community. Yep. And and there's a, a new book, two books from him, uh, Delta, um, v. Delta V, yes. And follow-up to Delta V. Yep. Is it like Critical Mass? Yeah, that's it, Critical Mass. Yeah, yeah. Critical Mass. Yeah, really I haven't finished book. Critical Mass yet, but I, I, I love his Critical books. Mass yet, but Delta V was really good. That guy, mm -hmm. I'm telling you that guy, that, that one guy in the book, no spoilers for anybody that hadn't read it, but that guy <laughs> in the book is Elon Musk, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. <Wild him> <laughs> oh, yeah, the, there's comparisons to a lot of people uh, in, yes, in real indeed. life. Yeah, it, but Daniel there, Suarez is a good pick yes. amongst themselves, man. Really good. Yes. Change Agent Pe is another one mm -hmm. that's really interesting. You read that one, Michael? I have. I've read most of his books. People call him kind of the modern day Michael Crichton. I can see that. I can definitely yeah. see that. 
Yeah, it's it's. I I heard that and I was like, that's very true. Uh, he writes great books. Yeah, he used uh, to work at Microsoft. Did he? Wow. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. He gets a I'm little. Cre- Wait, am I he mixing get- him up? I'll not, never take that back. Scratch that. I might be mixing mixing him up with a different writer. Uh, Mark yeah. Resinovich, I think, is who I was thinking of. So my pick is an is another entertainment uh, uh, pick, and that is this week. Um, Disney Plus started the Marvel TV show uh, Secret Invasion. And if anybody knows me, they know I'm a huge Marvel Comics fan. Uh, I love all the stories. I love the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So uh, this one is a very good... Like, the first episode was amazing. The audio description is really good. And um, like like I posted in a, in a short that I put on YouTube and TikTok, I didn't like the ending of the episode. Not spoiling anything. But it just starts it off with a band... Uh, it, it it's uh, very interesting now that I think about it with current events that have happened in the last few days, what happens in the episode. So I'll leave you at that. Uh, oh, nice teaser. Yeah. <laughs> like with, with political and world events that are going on in, in other countries, uh, very interesting parallels between what happens in that show and what's happening in real life. So um yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. So check that out. And where you can find me online, I'm Michael Doeys on Facebook. You can find me on Mastodon's Mike Doeys at techopolis.social. You can email me at mikedoeys at icloud.com. And I'm all over the web. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Um, if you're watching this after the fact, please subscribe and all those things on YouTube. Uh, you know, we we put all of our live streams. We Smash keep them up. Smash the bell, man. Smash mm-hmm. the bell. That's Notifications, the like, yep. I don't know. I, I don't know anything about it. I'm just throwing <laughs> in words I hear people say on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, we, we, we put all these live streams up here. We don't take them down. So... And we also put the actual podcast up here, and you can now use the YouTube music app and listen to the IA cast from YouTube, which is really cool. So, I guess we shouldn't uh, say smash that like button. <laughs> I always think when people say that, smash that like button. Yeah, people say all kinds of stuff just to just. Well, <laughs> but we and, would and appreciate I, if you would actually yes. do that. <laughs> we already have two likes on on this stream, so that's pretty awesome. Awesome. Uh, you know, and it, it's interesting. I, I bet people that are on YouTube just get so tired of saying the same things every time they do a video. They have to liven it up some, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, I do uh, have one recommendation. If you're on the WatchOS beta, the Snoopy watch face, uh, definitely check that out. I, I, oh, I recommend it. I hadn't seen it. I just like Snoopy. So I'm excited about mm-hmm. the Snoopy watch face. They're so, I love watchOS 10. It's so nice. It's really cool. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we can just keep going for hours, <laughs> but I want to thank Lynn and, and Demasi for being here. You guys have been great. And Demasi, we need to have you on more because this has been fantastic. All right, man. Well, you know where I'm at. Yep. And we so, wish everybody a nice trip. If oh, you're going. Oh, yes. Traveling so, to convention. We gave mm-hmm. you plenty of stuff to read and keep you yep. busy and quiet on the airplane. Yes. So you're not trying to open the doors or anything. Right. And, and, and we uh, will not be here recording next weekend. We will be at conventions. They just start next weekend. So um, we have our uh, usual. We, we're we're going to add to it today because it was a funny event that happened before uh, 
before the before the podcast started. Uh, <laughs> but we're our outtake show is back, so we will be having our outtake show come out next week, and it, it, there's going to be some really funny moments, and we may mix some old favorites in from previous years as well. So. Uh, be on the lookout for that. I think it's going to be hilarious and and great fun. So, uh, also you can now find me as a regular on the Tuesday unmute call. So I'm really excited about that. I'm helping Michael and Marty answer your tech questions. So if uh, you have tech questions, head over to uh, the ACB community and get on the and on, on the unmute call and uh, have your questions answered. So again, thank you. Demasi and Lynn for being here and we'll see everyone next time take care guys bye everyone thank you for tuning in to the IA cast we hope you enjoyed the show and found the conversation to be insightful and informative if you have any feedback or comments we'd love to hear from you please send us an email at feedback at iacast.net you can also follow us on twitter at iacast network to stay informed about new episodes and other updates don't forget to check out more great podcasts on the iacast network iacast.net thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon Thank you.